One of the things that I think many of us struggle with, if we were to be honest with ourselves, is spiritual health. Is to be healthy spiritually. To know that whatever it is God's called us to, we're going to do it the way He intends for us. If you've walked with Christ any amount of time, you know that you have ups and downs in your walk with Him. You've gone through the good, the bad, and the ugly of walking with Christ. And the only parts that are ugly are really found in you, not in Him. The reality is, is that God has certain healthy patterns that He wants us to establish as a church. We're going to be looking at four of them this morning. Number one, restore. Number two, reach. Number three, disciple. And number four, deploy. Number one, restore. In James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, we read these words. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And then Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. One of the areas that's so important in the church that is neglected so often is the area of restoration. If a person is caught in sin, the goal should always be restoration, not judgment. We need to learn to approach one another with humility, with truth and love. The truth is, though, we can at times be the one that needs restoration, and we don't even see that. The difficulty becomes, what do we do when we are confronted by others that are telling us something's off in our lives? When it becomes personal, it becomes difficult, doesn't it? It's easy to address someone else's faults, but what if it's my own? What if I'm the one struggling? Where do I go? And church, this is an area we have to get right if we are to be a healthy church. That people can turn to us when they need help. That we can be the hands and feet of Jesus when a brother or sister is struggling. Before we can reach others for the gospel, we ourselves need to be on the right track. Men, how will you respond when your leadership is lacking in the home and another brother comes along and addresses that with you? Do we buck what is stated? Or do we take that in light of what Scripture says? When you know you ought to be one flesh with your wife, but you're not, what do you do then? You see, the truth is the church today is trying so hard to reach everybody with the gospel, but they're not walking in the light themselves. And I'm challenging us as a church to make sure that we get this part right. We need to restore the brethren that are walking outside the faith. When your marriage is struggling and you know you need help, but you decide you're fine to just keep sinking. And the truth is many of us have broken homes. The gospel still addresses those things. Men, your pride will crush you and your family if you pretend everything's fine when your family knows the truth. Some of us are a lot harder to confront because we are very sensitive to criticism. 
You see, some of us, we have the personality type that is, tell it like it is. Tell me the truth. And I dare say, even those that say that, when confronted, push back. Or run away. You see, there are judgmental believers that don't care for your well-being. And that should not be us. We should avoid those types of people and possibly even ignore them. But what if they say the truth even in the wrong manner? Should that be ignored? Or should that be addressed? You see, so many of us, we don't take critique because we don't like the critiquer. But what if there's truth to what is said? Maybe that person isn't the one to help you, but maybe another brother or sister is. And that's why it's important not to just ignore it. One of the most dangerous lies we can believe is that we are not bitter when we can get there. In fact, bitterness is one of the hardest things to root out of a believer. Because most people that are bitter don't want to admit that they are. It's something that plagues them. What tends to get crazier is when it's pointed out, the person that points it out, that person becomes bitter toward. The key in these verses that we just read is turning someone back. The goal is not to make them like you, believer. The goal is to bring them back to the Word of God and what the standard is. That means you need to be on the right path yourself. That's one of the reasons why that text says, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Be careful not to go trying to help someone with the sin you are currently struggling with. You're going to jump right back in with them. You'll be tempted to fall again. I do like how the New Living Translation puts it in Galatians 6.1. Listen to what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It's one of the areas that really is a problem for many churches. We have many support groups, many avenues of help, and many times those avenues of help are people that they themselves are struggling in those areas still. Does that mean that you need to be a perfect saint that's arrived in every area in order to help another believer? No, that's not what we're saying. But in the area that you want to help somebody, you ought to have done well in that area to be able to address and help. You should make it a priority to restore another brother or sister. Which is one of the reasons why before judging or critiquing somebody, you pray for them. Whenever a brother or sister has a marriage that's struggling, you ought to pray for them before condemning that marriage. Whenever, whenever a brother or sister is struggling with some addiction and a sin that's overtaken them, you ought to pray for them before critiquing them. Before a brother or sister has fallen and you can't even believe that you would do something like that, you may want to step back and reevaluate your heart. You should be glad when somebody is getting help that's struggling in sin. 
Whenever you hear a brother or sister that is getting help in their marriage, you should pray for them and be encouraged that someone is getting help. Whenever someone is struggling in their finances and they're trying to walk in the wisdom of God, you should be encouraged and pray for them in getting help. Whenever someone is struggling in whatever sin that you would think you would never struggle with, Instead of standing in judgment over that brother or sister, realize the many sins God has forgiven you of. And step back, reevaluate your own heart. When a brother or sister is restored, and I say this sincerely as a pastor that has seen how this has gone, we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice. You know what the default for some of us is? Cynicism. We're cynical. Some of us by nature are cynical people. Whenever something God does in our life that's good, we literally turn it into something bad. Oh, that's great that I got a bonus for $500. Why wasn't it 1000 Whatever it is that God blesses us with, we find something that's wrong with it. It's also unfortunate that when God restores another brother or sister, we're that other prodigal that's standing in judgment continually. And you know what we do? Just like that brother does. Look at me, God. I've been faithful. What about me? You really understand this, brothers and sisters, that sometimes God has a celebration party for the one that came from a dark spot and was restored? And you ought to be joining that party? We ought to be joining those parties rather than avoiding them. We should rejoice just as the Heavenly Father rejoices over a sinner that repents. We should make it a priority in our church not only to restore the brethren, but also to reach out to the lost. Number two, reach. Every one of you is familiar with this text, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And Paul also reiterates this in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the, glory of, the, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' last words 
stood in highest priority to his followers. You and I have read accounts of people that on their deathbed had one last wish for those that were going to be carrying on without them. Well, Jesus is a living Savior who ascended. And before he ascends, he leaves his disciples with this in mind, that they are to go and make disciples. They are to spread the gospel message to the ends of the earth. That should be our highest priority as well. It is difficult to be a vessel God can use when we have glaring areas that we need to address in ourselves that we refuse to address. Believer, God is not waiting for perfection for you to reach someone with the gospel. He is, however, looking for you to walk close to Him. He is looking for you to be a faithful follower of His. The truth remains that the world will know that we are Christ's disciples by the love we have for one another. Do you want to reach people with the gospel? Ask how your relationship is to other believers who already know Jesus. Would you want them to welcome would you want to welcome them into that family? Which is one of the reasons why the love needs to be in the local church. It is so important that we love one another as Christ has commanded. Which means sometimes that we confront areas that need to be dealt with and stop throwing hissy fits because somebody actually mentioned something that needs to be addressed. There are times for encouragement. There are times for admonishment. There are times for confrontation. There are times for simply not saying a word and being there to be a shoulder to cry on. All of those things exemplify love in the church. Making disciples around the world, expanding the kingdom should be a priority for every believer of Jesus Christ. It's not optional. Jesus didn't just give this as an option as he left. He commanded this. That means that we are to be disciples ourselves if we want to make disciples. In order for others to become disciples, they need to be reached with the gospel, which is entrusted to us to deliver. Notice what is said in the text in 2 Corinthians. We'll talk a little bit more about Matthew 28 a little bit later here. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You know what tends to happen in the church many times? When a church tries to reach people with the gospel, they get overwhelmed and frustrated. They get exhausted trying to do the things God's called them to. There are many times where you want to give up and quit whatever it is that God's called you to do. We don't give up when it's tough trying to reach others with the gospel. We're not to be deceitful and trick people, as this text says to believing the gospel message, that they need Jesus for who he is as their own Savior. A person who has rejected the gospel has been blinded by Satan. There's no sugarcoating this reality. The only reason we ourselves believe the gospel is because of what it says in verse 6. 
For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God did a supernatural work in you and I. That is why we know him. That is why we love him. That is why the gospel message affected our hearts. And all of our striving to reach others apart from understanding how the Spirit works will be in vain. We had to see it for ourselves, and so do they. But this only happens supernaturally. Just as God commands light to shine, so He does with the one who sees Jesus as the light of the world. We are called to be lights ourselves in a dark world. Jesus tells us that we ought to be a light because we know the light. Believer, the methods to reach others are practically limitless. You and I are just not paying attention. Social media is readily available for you to use to reach others with the gospel. Before you poo-poo it, it has good stuff and bad stuff. Social media can be used as a tool to reach others with the gospel. It's great to show pictures of your kids. It's great to share events. It's great to share the gospel. There are other things that you and I can use. If you're a coffee fanatic, whether it's Starbucks, Dunkin', we're not going to debate that. Over a cup of coffee, you can share the gospel with someone. I just don't think we're creative enough sometimes. I don't think we look beyond the everyday life to see that God has opportunities for us all around. If you're a person that likes to invite people to your house, guess what? One of the greatest tools to be able to use, your home. You can invite people to a pool party. You can invite people to your house for a meal. Use that as a tool that God can use. Helping those that are in need. That's a tool God can use. In fact, believer, let me argue that every ministry that meets a need should always have the gospel attached to it. Because that's what you're called to do. Behind every heartbeat as a believer should be a desire for people to know Jesus. Your children, when they play a sport, the other parents, you can connect with them. Use that as a tool. Truly an area that God's convicted me on. We are doing more than just building a Christian school here. We are reaching people with the gospel, making disciples. And if you think that that's not one of the goals, then you've missed the point. Which is why it's not enough to reach people, they need to be discipled. You don't just bring someone to meet Jesus and leave them hanging. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of churches do. You made a decision for Jesus, you raised your hand, repeated a prayer. By the way, nobody in the Bible repeated a prayer. There was no Peter saying, repeat after me, I, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I need... No, none of that. 
That would be the equivalent of you and I getting into an argument. We stand with a counselor, and that counselor is asking us to repeat something that we don't even mean. Marriage, imagine that for marital counseling. All right, repeat after me, husband. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry for doing this. Just think that through. And we're doing this with God? Discipleship is important. And that's the number three thing that we have here is disciple. Back to the verses we just read. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and what? Make disciples. What does that look like? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You see, discipleship is a buzzword that's thrown around a lot in our churches. But is lacking precision. Discipleship is more than merely downloading some new facts about God and His Word. You can do that on Google. You don't know something, just look it up on Google. Discipleship is more than merely downloading facts And unfortunately, so many Bible studies are only knowledge-gathering sessions rather than taking the Word and applying it. There needs to be follow-through. Discipleship happens when what is taught is lived out. It's much easier for so many to sit and listen to someone else rather than doing the work themselves of study and application. Now, notice what the text doesn't say here. In Matthew 28, it doesn't say, teaching them new knowledge that they were lacking before. What does it say? Teaching them to what? Observe. That means do. A lot of us are head-filled knowledge folks. A disciple is one that does. Observe all things that I have commanded you. You think that'll take a lifetime? Sure will. You mastered everything and observed everything that's here? Jesus was a Jewish Messiah who was more concerned with doing and obeying than simply knowing. And you have to understand, Western thought is very different than Jewish thought. The Greeks were thrilled with knowing. Jewish people were thrilled with doing. That's how they both looked at it, a little differently. And both are important. You can't do what you don't know. But if you're going to be satisfied with just knowing more and not doing, then you're only doing part of it. doesn't mean that knowledge isn't important. It is. But knowledge without application is worthless. That's what James gets at all the time. Faith without works is dead. Which is why Pharisees were such hypocrites. By the way, baptism is only the start to the journey, not the finish line. 
So many churches think when a person's baptized, that's all there is. Done. Great. Baptism is only the start to the journey. Unfortunately for so many, we think they're baptized. Whew, we did it. They're all set. Discipleship is a difficult process, and it takes real work. There's no shortcuts. It's not something you throw in the microwave for five seconds and you got it done. The call to discipleship is not a call to kick back and relax and enjoy the American dream. Which is why so many who start on the path of discipleship love the process itself, see it work for them and others, and then part way through, they stop because it takes real work. They fall back into a rut spiritually because it takes real work to keep going. And brothers and sisters, I'm not here to condemn you. I've fallen back in my walk with God. I'm just telling you that if we're to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to keep going. And if we fall, we get back up and we start all over again if we need to. The truth is a lot of us don't want to do it because we know how much work it takes. As one author puts it, discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. The words were carefully chosen here, intentionally equipping. You can't just jump into discipleship happenstance. It's not going to work out. It doesn't accidentally happen in a home that doesn't intentionally do it. Like parents, if you're going to disciple your kids and you think it'll just happen by osmosis, it doesn't work that way. You actually have to put the work in. There needs to be a striving. There's got to be an intentionality to it. Accountable, which means that there should be others who can hold you accountable as well. You know what's amazing is so many parents want to be those that hold their children accountable, but they're not accountable to anybody. And then their kids see that dynamic. Like, wait a second, mom and dad, you're telling me I need to live this way, but who holds you accountable? Oh, God does. Well, yeah. Are you in the Word? Oh, don't go there. Now we're stepping on some territory here. You'll only be as accountable as you're willing to be honest with somebody else. And vulnerable with others who are in a discipleship relationship with you. There are many that will say they're not getting much out of discipleship, and that's because they're not putting much in. If you're putting very little of yourself into discipleship, you're going to get very little out of it. The truth is you get what you put in in everything in life. Spiritually speaking as well. Which is one of the reasons I always struggle with this. The people that complain the most about people not loving them, not caring about them, not being around for them, are very rarely the ones that are there for everybody else. Very rarely. Are there exceptions to the rule? Sure, you might be that exception. But typically, that's not the case. There are those that don't truly yearn for the Word of God themselves and wonder why the passion has died out. Believer, if you're wondering why you're feeling far away from God, maybe you might want to check how much this is a priority to you. 
you're going to be far if this isn't a priority. I know it sounds so common sense, but sometimes common sense is lacking for us, even in the church. The truth is, sometimes we're not honest with others in our struggle against sin, so we have nice Christian cliches. Brother, sister, pray for me, I've got this going on. Did you really seek help, or did you just want a nice little gimmick? Please pray while I do nothing. Pray that God does something in my life. Is there an intentionality there to actually fix what's going on? Or are we just throwing Christian cliches out there because we have nothing better to do? We need to be honest with others in our struggle against sin. And no, it's not posting on Facebook for everybody to pray for you. It's taking the time with people that you can trust that will pray for you and help you along the way. You wonder why it's all falling apart behind the scenes? Because we're not willing to do this. I can't tell you the amount of pride that has destroyed many homes that didn't want to seek help when they needed it. If you don't have much of a prayer life, don't wonder why God doesn't answer. You aren't calling. It takes work even for people like the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? How would you respond if this is what God revealed to you? Listen to this in Acts 18, 9 through 11. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. What if you heard that from God Himself? You know what? Go out there and try to reach people in Springfield with the Gospel. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen. Are you going to take that to heart? Are you going to do something with what God just said there? Notice what Paul does. He teaches the Word among them, and he does it for a year and six months. He disciples people. Paul continued in Corinth for over a year and a half, teaching them the truths of God's Word and how to live. What should be an encouragement for every pastor is that even after he discipled there for a year and a half, there were still some major problems in that church. Some of the problems were, number one, divisions. People were dividing over leaders in the church. Well, I like this guy. I like this guy better. He's a better teacher than this guy. We're dividing in the church. Sexual immorality. You mean Paul, the apostle, like who discipled people, still had people in the church that struggled with that? Yes. I don't know why people are so shocked that it happens today. If you have the number one apostle that you and I get to know in Scripture... Discipling people and having that still be a problem in the church, it just tells you we're all the same. People are still fickle. That sexual morality, by the way, was not just tolerated, it was celebrated in that church when Paul left. Could you imagine that today? Paul starts up a church, there's a group of believers, years later, years down the road, it's completely off track. Paul has to come back and tell them, hey, wait a second. <laughs> This is not what I taught you. 
Some of the other problems that needed help, and 1 Corinthians 7 deals with this, is marriages that needed help. Others were flaunting their Christian liberty, kind of like, hey, you know, I get to do whatever I want. I don't care what you think. I don't care about your conscience. There are those that abuse the Lord's Supper, which God took very severely, terminating life early. There was doctrinal confusion over the resurrection as well. By the way, all of these things are solved with the gospel, which is why it's not something you simply grow out of, believer. Your schism with somebody, your tension with somebody can be worked out when you remember what Christ has done on your behalf. It's kind of hard to get upset at another brother or sister when you realize all the things God's forgiven you for. Your little petty squabble with somebody is pretty pathetic compared to what Jesus did in infinite glory for you. You sin against an infinite God in countless ways you don't even realize sometimes. There are sins you've never confessed that He knows and you don't even know. Your struggle against sin needs the gospel as a reminder. Why is it that Jesus paid? What did it take? What sacrifice did he make for my sin to be paid for? Your marriage is to take its cue from Christ and his love for his bride and the submission of the church to the head, which is Christ. All of this is wrapped up in the gospel. Discipleship keeps a believer walking faithfully with Christ. It doesn't mean people don't stumble. They will. They will fall. But they will get back up and deal with the sin in their life. That's what discipleship does. A person without discipleship is a ship without direction. Believers saying they don't need other believers in their life will always fall on their own. I promise you that. That includes pastors. Just like there were fake disciples walking with Jesus, including one that betrayed him, we all know about Judas. There are fake disciples in the church today who play the part, say what they should, but inside are far away from God. And I beg and plead with you that you repent in these areas if you are walking away from God. This is no small thing for our church to try to reach the lost if we have people in our church that don't want to walk with God. We've had discipleship groups that have been started in the church the past few years. Discipleship groups are typically a group of three to five people, men's groups and women's groups, which meet weekly to hold one another accountable in their Bible reading prayer, memorization of Scripture, and personal application of Scripture itself. But as I've said to discipleship groups, leaders, D-group leaders, your group will only be as open as you are about your struggles with them. If you ask others to be honest while you are closed off about your own personal struggles, you will breed hypocrisy in that group. It's one of the reasons why leaders that tell others, please share with me your struggles and never share them with anybody else, don't really connect well. Well, 
In fact, Jesus himself is our example, who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can relate in that area too. Those sinless. No matter your personality type, we can all be dishonest with others in what we are willing to share sometimes when we need to. There's a reason why Scripture lays out the importance of older teaching younger. But with it also comes the dangers of habits that are formed that may not be good habits. Practices that are harmful to the next generation. Believer, I want you to pause for a moment and think about this. Are there things in my life that I'm doing that the next generation, if they were to practice, would probably not be a good thing for them to do? Are there things that I'm living that would not be a good habit to pass down to somebody else? And I'm very practical about this. I'm going to go right where, for me, it's a little more personal. My music choices. What do I listen to? Movies. What do I watch? You're thinking, well, that has nothing to do with discipleship. Oh, it sure it does. Because the world is teaching your children something. The world is always teaching the next generation something. You think we came to transgenderism overnight? You think that just happened? Or do you think maybe entertainment had something to do with that? Maybe the things our kids struggle with today are not so normal. They've been normalized by a culture that hates God. That walks in opposition to Him. That are looking to seek to destroy and we're just going to stand around and say it's not a big deal? Well, I explain it to them. It's one thing I do always tell parents that come in and ask about our school. I always tell them that you really have three options when it comes to the education of your kids. I say this all the time. You have the homeschool option, the public school option, the Christian school option. All of them have pros and cons. They all do. They all do. The homeschool option, the pro is, you get to teach your child exactly what you want to teach them. The con is you're going to take a lot more time if you're doing it right. The pro for a Christian school is that if you align, you can partner with somebody that's going to help in the raising of your children if your vision aligns with theirs. The con is probably the most expensive option, to be honest. And then the public school option. The pro, your tax money already pays for it. You don't need to do anything else. The school bus will actually pick them up. The con, you potentially lose your kid's soul. Pick. You see, the truth is, all of that is still tied into discipleship, and we don't even realize it. Don't ever get upset at the next generation bringing to light what your generation kept hidden in the darkness. Sometimes God uses a new believer to show us what we've been wrong about. Lest you think that's not the case, the Apostle Paul confronted Peter. Discipleship is a process that is never completed in this life. But it's a process that needs to be replicated. That's why the disciple must be deployed to be a disciple maker themselves. It doesn't just terminate with you passing it on to them. They're then to pass it on to someone else. Number four, deploy. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The gospel is never meant to terminate with us. Discipleship is never meant to terminate with us. It's always meant to be passed down to the next generation. In fact, there are four generations that are mentioned in this one text. Paul, who disciples Timothy. Timothy, who is discipling other faithful men, and those faithful men who disciple others. That's how it's supposed to work. Believer, don't be surprised if your children throw away your faith when they get older if you are not discipling them intentionally. Children can see what we are hypocritical about in our faith. We talk about things in church one way, but at home it's just not that important. They'll know that. Look, every good thing that God gives you should always point back to Him to your children. That wonderful vacation you take as a family should be a reflection of what God is doing in your life and giving you in your life. Something you're grateful for. Parents, you should give good gifts to your kids because God is a good God. When we hang out with others and Scripture is rarely brought up, we teach our children something. They assume that it's not that important, it only belongs in church on Sunday. When we care more about bringing our kids up with good morals than actually following the dictates of Scripture, we've missed the point. Believer, your children should be there to go to you when they do struggle, because they will. I have yet to find a parent that raised perfect teenagers. Like perfect, like they really nailed it in everything in life. You should be about good theology than good morals. What they're taught about God matters more than their morals. Because if they're taught the right things about God, their morals will follow. The teaching and application of the Word of God should be passed on to the next generation. Which is one of the reasons why I will say this again. If you are not being discipled yourself, it's very hard for you to pass something on to somebody else. And I, and I say this respectfully. There's no such thing as self-discipleship. Say that respectfully. I really do mean it. If you think all you need is you and your Bible, you've missed all of what Jesus was getting at at the end. You miss the letters that Paul writes, not to just individuals, but to churches who are to admonish one another, to work together. Some older saints believe they no longer need input from others. They know which books to read. They know how to study. They've walked with God for so many years. I'm telling you right now, you're off if you think that's true. The truth is, even Jesus, with his closest disciples, needed them in his darkest hour. You want to tell me you're more mature than he is? You're to follow him. Now, mind you, they probably weren't that much of a help falling asleep. 
And yes, other believers will let us down. But that doesn't mean we stop discipleship. You're going to have people that abandon you and desert you. Paul had those people too in his life. People that were partners in ministry that decided to not join him anymore, leave him alone, abandon him. You don't abandon discipleship because a believer abandoned you. You're called to much more than that, believer. You're called to follow Jesus. If Jesus wanted and needed his disciples with you, you're not more spiritually advanced than he is. Learn from the master himself. So in conclusion, where have you failed to obey? I dare say with the things that we mentioned, we all have an area or two or three, maybe all four, that we have failed to obey. Number one, restore. Are you walking or seeking to help others that are hurting and not walking faithfully with God? Are you looking to restore other believers? Has that even been on your radar? Now, you might be on the other end of that. Maybe you're the one that needs restoration today. Can I encourage you to talk to somebody? Let us come alongside you. Let us help in this. Don't refuse to help a brother or sister that needs it. And if you can't, give that to somebody else that can. Don't leave them hanging. Some brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help in this area. I'm probably not the best person to help you, but here, this brother or sister, they can help you with that. Brother and sister, please, don't take something on yourself that you can't help with. That's a bad mistake we make too in the church. The next one is reach. Are you making it a priority to share the gospel with others? Is that your heartbeat? When was the last time you had a gospel conversation with somebody? That Jesus came up. The gospel needs to go out. What about disciple? Are you a proactive disciple of Christ or have you checked out and remained passive for a while? Or you've done your own thing, right? In and out of the Word of God. Disciplined for one day, undisciplined for three weeks. Disciplined for three more days, undisciplined for two months, right? Taking it kind of casually. The discipleship does not come with an autopilot feature. It takes sacrifice. You can't just check out and be discipled. That's not how it works. Discipleship itself is an act of self-denial. You know why? Because every single one of us wants to do things in our life our way. Which is why whenever we hear the word, we have our own idea of what that looks like. And we think other people's idea is wrong. The last one is deploy. Has God given you all the tools, but you're just not willing to put it into practice? You've been taught. You've been given the tools, but you're kind of still sitting on the sideline. You have other people God wants you to disciple. You just haven't taken that step of obedience. In helping others reach their potential as disciples of Christ. There are others that need to be sent out reaching and discipling others, and they aren't because we are not training them to do so. 
The call to discipleship is not just for pastors. It's not just for church leaders. It's for every believer. And that is one of the reasons why, brothers and sisters, if we make these things a priority in our church, we'll be the church God wants us to be. We will reach others with the gospel. We will disciple others, and we will deploy others who will disciple others as well and train them to serve Him.